Welcome to today's edition of the Paul List Comics and Culture Podcast. Every day I pick a comic and then I provide some analysis, discussion, and critical engagement. I'm Tu Ply on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I. My perspective is as a cultural critic, academic, and a teacher and preacher. So I try to be analytical since sometimes I get philosophical, sometimes I get a little spiritual. Well, since I do analysis of a comic's work each day for about 20 minutes, I do get into the details. So I always suggest that you read the work first, whether you buy it from your local retailer or digitally. Yes, that's a lightweight spoiler warning. All right, let's dig deep. It's Monday, July 11th. Uh, <laughs> this one's going to come out a little bit late and I might take a while to get back on the rhythm to catch up. Um, and I apologize that yesterday wound up being the release of only a new version of What is the Paulist? My explanation of what is this um, podcast, this daily podcast of comics analysis. Um, and I, what I skipped was the Sunday Scholar, which is would be my second week in a row skipping it. And that sucks because this is what <laughs> I think makes this podcast distinctive. So actually what I want to do today is to, til- to still do the Monday Marvel. I'm going to talk about Invincible Iron Man number 11. But as I do so, I want to touch on Ramsey Fawaz's book, The New Moons from NYU Press, which came out last year. Um, a great book about um, superheroes. And I realized that would make two scholar books in a row that were about superheroes, which, um, again, isn't totally reflective of my my total intent, but um, but that's okay. There will come a time for me to talk about some other um, scholarly works. So um, today the book is Invincible Iron Man 11 because this is um, the Monday Marvel, and uh, Marvel's in the throes right now of, a, of an event. And i got to say, events are not uh, not usually my favorite things. I actually don't mind reboots and relaunches. Sometimes, you know, longtime comics fans get frustrated at this uh, newer model of this these increasingly rapid reboots and relaunches. I'm not terribly opposed to it, to be honest. Um, I like reading the 46th or 465th issue of something. I like doing that. Um, but I actually think there's an economy and 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 in economic sense, but also an economy of storytelling in in the ways that the t- titles are are starting over from one and and issued in volumes that uh, kind of makes sense to me. And you know, many creators are still having a using using it as a uh, a, um, a means nonetheless to still have some consistency of storytelling. For instance, there's a, a Jeff Lemire um, Hawkeye hardcover coming out that really is the two last two miniseries of. Hawkeye that uh, he wrote, and so I, I don't see it as you know fatal to the things that make um, con- continuity storytelling great. Um, on the other hand, something that I do get frustrated about that the big two companies do is the necessity of these events. One, just fatigued um, that there's always event after event after event that has to you know roll in the entire universe or at least a huge segment of the universe. But two, it just really breaks up the individual storytelling. On the other hand, there is something about these events that um, is part of the draw of, of, you know, big two superhero universes. Um, and I'm going to actually talk about that in a minute in reference to the book, that um, the, the scholarly book, The New Mutants by Ramsey Fawaz, um, in a minute. Um, but anyway, Marvel is, uh, you know, sort of at the precipice. Uh, no, it's not fair to say. They're fully in this event, Civil War II. Uh, I referenced it last time. 
um, anybody's not catching up on the book, um, the event is actually written by Brian Michael Bendis, who is the writer of uh, on Iron Man, uh, Invincible Iron Man 11 today. And um, in fact, the artist of the Civil War II series is David Marquez, who was the artist of the first uh, few issues of this series. And so it's a very Iron Man-centric um, event. In fact, it's pitting Iron Man against Captain Marvel. Um, and uh, the the event is centered around this Inhumans character Ulysses, who has the ability to um, sort of foretell. Um, this is his in, inhuman power to foretell crime and disaster. And so um, Captain Marvel and her cohort in this civil war, <laughs> her side of the civil war, wants to utilize Ulysses' powers to prevent um, you know disaster from striking, while uh, the problems inherent in such a notion of preventing crime before they happen and apprehending, um, you know, the villains before they cause the disasters um, is troublesome to Tony Stark. And so it's interesting, the Iron Man role in, in this Civil War compared to the last, as far as the use of force and authority, um, seems to have um, stayed the same. Uh, Iron Man was the one who wanted to register superheroes, as you recall. Um, although the relationship vis-a-vis -vis the, the state and and authority um, seems to have switched. Anyway, you can puzzle your mind around that. I'm not here to talk about Civil War II, actually. And, act, and in fact, the Invincible Iron Man series is still on the road to Civil War II at this point. Um, Civil, uh, sorry, Iron Man 11, which just came out this past week, is um, still the, is the last issue... Uh, before next issue throws Iron Man fully into Civil War. Um, what comes out of Civil War uh, 2 uh, is still obviously yet to be seen, but Marvel has actually begun soliciting and you know teasing this past week the, the um, aftermath of Civil War and what they're, they're calling Marvel Now. Again, they actually had another Marvel Now. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it seems like it's just a pattern of now and then all new and then now and then <laughs> all new, all different. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's, again, that relaunching and rebooting tick that they've developed. Um, but the uh, Iron Man series is, um, again, written by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Mike Deodato, Frank Martin on color right now. And um, I won't go into a whole lot of detail about the run-up to the book, I want to assume that you've caught up and read it, although I'm, I, I'll talk about the book in a way that if you haven't read it, um, it won't spoil too much. I hope that serves. But um, it, the book is Bendis up to Bendis stuff. Um, if you've read Brian Michael Bendis, he has a very particular voice and tone. And I'm not you know, I, I like it. I can read Bendis. I probably need to take breaks, you know, like if I read too much, I, I'm just like that sort of quippy voice hijinks. You know, the stakes are huge, but everybody is funny and talks a lot. And there's a lot of repeated, um, panels, uh, you know, the same face to, for effect, you know, he, he loves to do that. Saves his artists a lot of trouble. They can just copy and paste the panel. Um, so there's a lot of Bendis stuff in this, in this book. Um, but um, what's going on, uh, part, part of what's going on, and this is a sort of spoilery, is that um, Tony Stark has been undercover for a while, um, trying to unearth the, the goings-on of a new villain named uh, Tomo, a Japanese villain. 
and um, sort of disappeared off the face of the earth. And so Stark Industries is uh, about to be subjected to a shareholder takeover because apparently their captain, their captain is probably the wrong word, their their uh, their Iron Man, their their leader, the company's leader is uh, disappeared. Um, and it's interesting the way that these shareholders. Uh, are portrayed it's kind of an anti-corporate you know like you know these capitalists are just out to keep stark Industries stock up um you you know it basically exists to serve capitalism uh and that's bad (laughs) but instead you know it seems like stark industries is there to really serve the whims of a single randy executive so that doesn't seem terribly responsible but anyway um what's actually important about this book and what news has come about the post-Civil War Iron Man is that Marvel announced that um, Invincible Iron Man will soon have as its lead character someone that Bendis began introducing a few issues ago, a character named Riri Williams, who was a young African-American um, student at MIT who has taken the you know public knowledge of the Iron Man outfit, stolen a bunch of parts <laughs> i know scrapped together a bunch of parts let's say stolen is a little bit too much of an accusation um and it had has produced her own iron man suit and she's clearly a genius um and soon she's going to take the iron man mantle um and so this issue features the first appearance of riri not in costume uh she's been in costume you see you've seen her in previous issues uh, putting together the the Iron Man suit, uh, putting on the Iron Man suit, but it's really her first time venturing out and doing superhero stuff in a two-page spread. Uh, you know, there's some criminals escaping in a truck from prison, maybe. I don't know. And, uh, uh, you know, Riri shows up in her Iron Man suit, which actually looks, um, you know, it's very mech tech and uh, looks a little bit like the Jim Gordon Batman, actually, that we just experienced over in the end of dc's new 52 batman anyway um here is uh you know riri iron man uh in a suit there the criminals are approaching and they shout is is that iron man you know in a it's very ironic line because is it iron man Uh, you know uh and then uh she stops them uh and then the police come after her and in a scene that's a little startling uh you know she (laughs) They say hands over her head. Um, and, uh, you know, who are you? What did you just do? And she puts her hands up and she's got a smile on her face. And, you know, um, her hair is combed out. Um, I think she's a, a very cool looking artistic depiction of a young black woman. And she says, I'm one of the good guys. I was just flying by. That was my first superhero thing. I'll do better next time. And her hands are up and she's got a smile on her face. And on one hand, you can read in that this brashness of this young woman sort of taking um, the the Iron Man, the Iron Mantle <laughs> onto herself, um, really just kind of rising up and making of herself um, the superhero role, the superhero um, crown, so to speak. On the other hand, she's got her hands up, and um, that's um, a very, I think, uh, you know, this is a moment in our in our times when this the significance and meaning of that as a as a political gesture is um, is interesting. And so I I don't know how conscious 
you know, Bendis is making this as a statement. Um, I don't need to guess, though, that that having a uh, black woman become Iron, Ma Iron Man is significant uh, for Bendis and very intentional. In fact, in the last issue, um, the two-page spread where we do see where we see Riri sort of trying out the Iron Man suit and flying up in the air. She's in a conversation, and I don't know if it's with a friend or a family member, and she named Sharon. And you know, she her her question is that she's asking, and the person she's talking to doesn't realize she's flying around in an Iron Man suit. She says, "What do you call Iron Man if he was a girl? Iron Lady, Iron Woman." Um, there's a joke, Iron Maiden, <laughs> and you get the sense it's an unresolved discussion. Um, but you get the sense that she's going to be called Iron Man. Um, and I think that's significant because just as the uh, Thor that Jason Aaron wrote to be um, taken on by, you know, the the hammer of Thor picked up by a woman and therefore Thor becoming Th Thor, a woman. Uh, and I don't know what, I don't know if this is a spoiler for anybody more, but I'm not going to give away who that Thor is, who that woman is. That was sort of a mystery for a while in the last run. But, um, you know, didn't, need to be called Lady Thor was just Thor. And um and it's part of a continuing effort by Bendis and writers by ben, writers like Bendis to um to really uh change and diversify the the protagonists in Marvel's superhero line. Um Bendis is the creator of uh, Miles Morales who is was the ultimate Spider-Man in the Ultimate Universe, and after Secret Wars came over, and is just another Spider-Man. Um, in fact, he's the headliner of the title Spider-Man. Uh, Miles Morales, a Black Latino teenager. Uh, he, he's also the creator of Jessica Jones and Maria Hill, and so this this sort of conscious moving away from the white man as the um, as the sort of default de facto superhero is um, is obviously a very intentional representational political move by bendis um bendis is the uh, father of three black daughters he uh he, i believe he and his wife adopted um one ethiopian and two african-american um girls and have raised them and so although he is you know <laughs> he is a self-acknowledged white man he um he is conscious of uh, I don't know if you would say he's woke, but he's he's thoughtful about issues of race and representation. And uh, we'll come back to that in a second. But you can really see his embrace in this issue. And he, I mean, you know, Bendis has been a pretty significant writer since the you know, early 2000s. I think right now at Marvel, he is clearly one of the senior, you know, lead writers um, among their their team of you know various writers and um you can see that he takes pride the same way that axel alonso the same way that you know other marvel execs take pride in marvel's intention toward diversity um again in this issue a little bit spoilery but um, the all new all different avengers come to extract tony from his um his sort of being stuck in this undercover situation and it features the characters who are the all new all different adventures and here is um and this he isn't but james rhodes roadie you know sort of the black um iron man and then there's um appearance by kamala khan um cap uh miss marvel and then there's a splash page and here's um captain america who formerly falcon 
um, Sam Wilson, uh, the black Captain America. Here's Thor. Um, as I said, just Thor, but Lady Thor. Um, and there's Miles Morales. Um, and there's even here Vision, who um, is this cosmic creation. And, you know, uh, this synthesoid who um, is this combination of human and tech, um, the descendant of Ultron, but this uh, continual wrestling with this sense of being an outsider. And if you read the new Vision book written by uh, Tom King, uh, art by Gabriel uh, Hernandez-Walta, there's a sense of the strangeness of Vision and his family in this very sort of white bread suburban lifestyle. Um, and then there's Nova, Sam Wilson, who's, no, not Sam Wilson, Sam, um, dang, I'm blanking, Sam blanking, um, but he's a teenage kid, uh, also cosmic. And, uh, and so this synthesoid and this cosmic character and then all of these, you know, women and people of color, they are now the flagship Marvel team. Um, and that, and, you know, I, I think Bendis takes delight in having them come in and um, be quippy and save Tony. And uh, I think that's part of the Marvel pride in their diversity. Um, and, you know, I, I turn, I mentioned that because I turn now to, to Ramsey Fawaz's book, The New Mutants. Um, as I said, NYU Press, he introduces a concept um, he calls comic book cosmopolitics. Um, and that's in reference to the the word and the idea and really kind of a philosophical, ethical framework of cosmopolitanism. He, he talks about how, um, you know, superheroes emerged in the World War II uh, time period and really to represent, to, um, to, to propagate a, a World War II era, you know, golden age era, sort of liberal spirit, um, the spirit of, of real kind of liberal egalitarianism. Right. And, um, that spirit is one, of course, that um, sort of is the triumph of the individual. You know, here is Superman triumph as an individual, triumphing over corporate power, triumphing over Nazism, triumphing over, um, you know, whatever kind of villainy, right? Be it crime or be it, uh, uh, you know, sometimes even, um, you know, author or authoritarian governments or whatever, right? That and, and it was this World War II liberal spirit that really drove the creation and the ethics of superheroes in the in the golden age um fawaz really emphasizes in his book what what happens in the 60s um in cotton superhero comics um particularly in the marvel era although he goes outside of marvel to talk about of course as the as the title suggests the the new mutants but going backwards from that the fantastic four um the introduction of all kinds of cosmic um, dimensions and realms in, in superhero comics. Uh, he talks about uh, Teen Titans. Uh, he talks about um, uh, just a number of different characters. The X-Men, the whole mutant phenomenon. And um, he, uh, he uses that to trace the idea that superheroes at the time are shifting from uh, a, a, you know, total domination, total dominance of that that liberal attitude, that sort of lib liberal ethical framework, to one that um, is really reflective of the '60s of the movement of um, of political thought, um, where in the '60s you have, of course, you know, um, a certain um, uncertainty uh, as a result of of moving across cultures as a, as, as, a, as a result of contact across cultures. And so the, the ethical 
um, necessity is not just um, you know valuing individualism or or you know sort of everybody's freedom and right to be be who they are, but it's really about how do you deal with um, with really diversity with different group affiliations and how do you uh, not just um, talk about individualism and everybody is their own and we just need some sort of equality where everybody has their same opportunity but how do we uh, really reform a sense of community uh, when we all have such you know different group identity group identities that we belong to um, and so this co comic book cosmopolitics that Fawaz um, uh, advances really he talks about three ways that this occurs in comics first that that the superhero comes to embody uh, quote a, a model of universal citizenship and so um, you kind of see the superhero world move beyond like the the metropolis or the gotham or um, even the new york to now you know this as he says a vast web of relations across human and non-human and so you know now we're talking about like a, a big broad universe the intersection of you know the silver surfer with um and and you know herald of galactus um <laughs> with you know these uh, street level superheroes who are dealing with um race and um drug addiction and poverty and ghettoization and all these different kinds of things and so it really becomes the stories you know and, and this really bears out in the the kind of complex narratives that develop in the Marvel age, for instance, the stories are less about crime fighting and just sort of beating crime and more about the encounters between these various kinds of characters um, and, you know, this this cohort, this universe of, of, of characters. And you know, I think this is true across uh, superhero titles. You can see, observe it in, in Marvel and DC of, of that age. Um, similarly, uh, he, he he advances this is Fawaz advances the the notion that visually you start to see more and more of this instability of the hero's body um sort of a, a great example is Reed Richards who you know would be in the golden age this sort of paragon paragon of masculinity stretched and contorted right uh and then with mutants this sort of like you know sometimes monstrosities sometimes this this um shape-shifting this adaptation this flux that reflects this cosmopolitan ideal of adaptation of being able to move and flow and change as needed versus this uh idea of sort of being the stalwart and um you know steadfast image of patriotism or whatever it's actually your ability what what's becomes necessary in a world that is so much in um in upheaval and change where there's so much uh accelerated contact is the ability to surf the ability to as silver does uh the ability to um to to morph as needed um and that's you know i think part of a, a cosmopolitan eth ethical framework the whole world is your polis and therefore you must be prepared for um for you know the the kind of living and navigating that's necessary in not just your locality but in the cosmos um fawaz also talks about the the participatory participatory reading and the counter publics that are formed i won't go too much into that um and also uh, this um investment in in anti-racism and anti-fascism that um is yes still in that 
liberal egalitarian mood, but also with sometimes this touch of the, this radical sensibility, um, you know, sort of new left um, point of view in, in balance and all of it showing up in the, the popular fantasy of comics. Um, and so Marvel has been up to that game for its entire lifetime. And I think none of us sh should be surprised. And, and so it, it always kind of, it always kind of surprises me to hear the, the negative feedback from fans um, who, you know, are longtime Marvel fans and, and want to make a claim, oh, that's not my Captain America, that's not my Iron Man, or whatever, or why is Hulk now Korean-American? Uh, you know, I think there are people who um, are frustrated to lose characters that they've invested so much time and so much of themselves into, um, or others who critique it as a kind of tokenism, and it just feels too neatly like, oh, there's a woman, oh, there's a black character, oh, there's a Latino character, you know, there's a gay character. Um, Fawaz talks quite about, a lot about about queering that goes on in the um, in the superhero works of, of the of the generation, and uh, I think it's I think it's really good. It's really provocative. Um, but to go back to my point, it's just surprising to me sometimes that fans of marvel who've long lived in a universe that um has made its it's really um made its name off of you know the the notion of outsiders pushing in um and having to think about the world as really just not safely your own and that's a good good thing um to be um, uncomfortable um would would somehow not embrace how much kamala khan just perfectly typifies the same spirit that peter parker did um and uh and and really makes not only sense but really would just absolutely be necessary um in in our times um marvel is still behind the times in many ways but it, it, but the fact of it of them being so devoted to being of the time should catch should, should be you know no surprise to anyone um, what I think was a surprise to some was actually not the critique of those who who would complain to, of, about having a black woman uh, as a character, but but actually a, the critique from sort of the other side, which um, included you know some people that I follow on Twitter who really began to hear about this news about Riri Williams and then to start to critique the idea that it was written by a, another white man, um, and then it started to kind of go around uh that uh you know there's no black women writers at marvel right now um and then the facts sort of surfaced and i'm sorry for the lack of attribution here I, I don't remember who first mentioned it but uh somebody mentioned that there's never been a black woman writer at marvel ever um, you know someone went back and looked or everybody sort of racked their brains and um all of the history of marvel even the you know occasional one shot or this little short run or whatever there's just nobody could think of a black woman who had written a marvel comic and uh i mean that's a little shocking um it's not you know a total shock when you consider of course that you know comics especially mainstream superhero comics have long been a bastion of uh, of white male um artists and and um are you know writers and and producers uh i think that history is uh, i i don't need to retread um 
but just not a single one. You know, that's mind-blowing. Um, you know, DC's had a couple, um, which is uh, also a, a ridiculously poor showing. But for all of Marvel's commitment to diversity, that seemed shocking. And so there were um, some really strong voices really just saying Marvel, you know, con- continue to appropriate, um, you know, people of color and, and queer characters and, and women characters. Uh, and meanwhile, never let uh, any, uh, any of them see the profit. Um, never let any of them have a shot at actually writing the characters. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of Nancy Fraser's argument um, about the politics of redistribution versus the politics of recognition. Um, she made a, a now fairly classic um, argument um, in in sociology and legal studies that uh, once you know debates about equal equity equality were um, would talk about redistribution, and increasingly um, she observed that those politics, those debates are now about recognition. The difference being redistribution is a, you know, concrete material. Um, <laughs> well, I guess I'd put recognition and redistribution this way. You know, you, uh, you stick a bunch of folks in an internment camp. Um, you recognize that by apologizing and issuing an official public apology and creating a monument and saying, Yes, we screwed up. Uh, redistribution is to say, what cost did that have on your community? And then to make amends for it. Um, to put an even finer point on it, recognition is to um, recognize and to teach and to routinely discuss the lessons of racism in terms of America's long history of white supremacy and slavery and Jim Crow. Uh, that's recognition. Redistribution is to say, okay, if that is what we've done to a lineage of people, what do we do about that? And what would it cost us in, you know, us being white America? What would it cost us in, in reparations? And <laughs> discussing that becomes, well, these days, sometimes it becomes third rail politics. And, um, and I think that when you say, okay, do we have characters who are black, who are black women in comics? You know, everybody is quick to jump aboard and say, yeah, we should. Let's do it. Let's do it and let's honor them and let's make those voices feel real. Then when you say, well, okay, are we prepared to have those black women voices write the black women voices? Uh, that's sticky. That's a little hairy. I think part of the reason why is because um, th- there is a certain kind of, you know, uh, uh, of an old boys club in, in comics creatordom. Um, I kind of qualify that by saying, you know, those comics creators, I think, are often enormously generous with themselves and their time with, um, uh, you know, enormously kind to um, all kinds of people. Um obviously not universally true but um but for the most part in my experience and my observations um especially these days there's some um you know there are severe and um really haunting exceptions people who are harassers and people who are who will just dismiss you out of hand 
um, based on, you know, identity politics, to be honest. But for the most part, you know, a bunch of really nice people who actually aren't that famous, <laughs> famous in, in this small sector of the population that of comics fans, but otherwise not that famous. It's really a very small handful who are making the, the huge fortunes, you know, your, your Kirkmans and your Mark Millers and, well, and your Brian Michael Bendises. Um, however, because of comics' long history of, you know, gross neglect for its creators' rights and respect, you know, I think there is something that the publishing houses do, especially like DC and Marvel, that you want to respect these old guard writers, these, you know, folks who've been around who have some historical memory, you know, your, your Bendis's, uh, and then definitely your, your Mark Wade's and your Kurt Busick's. And when all this flared up about Riri, um, and people started to sort of, you know, point the finger at Marvel and say, where are your black women writers? I saw quite a few um, of these, I guess I'd call them old guard writers. I mean, these are people whose comics I buy and whose comics I read all the time, but quite a lot of these old guard writers trying to do two things at once. One, saying that, yes, definitely, there should be more black women writers. But then two, saying, I don't want to say, or I, or trying to make this the argument that it's dangerous to say that um, you can't write somebody outside of your race um, or outside of your experience. If I'm a straight, you know, cisgendered male, I can't write a gay black woman. Um, I, I think that quote-unquote defense concerns me. It is an important point of view. Um, it's one, for instance, that Jean Luen Yang has shared about how important it is to write outside of um, your your own experience, um, and I and and to con, you know humble yourself and learn, um, and let others correct you along the way. I think that's true, but to to equate that to the situation of you know that the critics are raising, we're not really talking about whether or not a person can write another person. We're just t we're talking about whether we we have any black women at the at the steering wheel of these stories. To me, those are two entirely different discuss discussions. And, you know, I may be taking this a bit far, but for people to sort of raise their hands and say, look, please remember that anybody can write anybody. It's a little bit like saying, look, all lives matter. Of course, right? We all agree that all lives matter. To say it at a moment when a critique is being put forward about how black lives matter in, a, in the face of, you know, of police brutality, harassment, and, and murder. Um, kind of an insult. And honestly, that's how I took it from people who I otherwise tremendously respect that, um, look, we don't need to protect your right to say that you can write a black woman. You get to write a black woman. You write black women all the time. That's not the question. The question is... Um, you know, when, when are, is this industry and when is this company that touts its diversity going to put its money where its mouth is? And I think that's a very, that's a good probing question. Um, and uh, Marvel's response, I, I don't know, actually, I, I don't think I'm attentive enough. Um, in the past, uh, Marvel's, you know, folks at the head of Marvel have been bad and good about this stuff. Um, 
you know, critique a while ago that there were no black writers in the new line uh, was soon met with um, David Walker, as I talked about last time I covered a Marvel book, David Walker on, on um, uh, Power Man and Iron Fist and then ta Coates on Black Panther. And that, I guess, was supposed to shut a whole bunch of people up. And in some ways, it was sort of a, okay, yeah, we see we see your commitment to diversity. Uh, this question now that's come with Riri um, has its own power. And I think it um, is one that should send the industry um, reeling and questioning. And that's a good thing uh, in my point of view. Um, all right. I've gone way too long. Um, I probably was pretty opinionated <laughs> in this piece. Um, and I, I guess ultimately I am going to read uh, Riri. I, I am going to continue to read Bendis. Uh, I have contributed quite a lot to his pocketbook <laughs> in my reading of things since since Torso, you know. Um, and I will continue to respect his work as well as those of other creators who um, – are old white men who, not, eh, maybe not that old, uh, but just, you know, I'm going to continue to read, and I'm going to continue to applaud the radical, um, uh, maybe nobody would think it's radical anymore, but the radical pushing of boundaries, the radical pushing of the narrative, the, the radical world building um, that continues to, I believe, fundamentally shape our, our um, perceptions of the world we live in and the world we make. Nevertheless, that does not assuage the um uh I, the the really haunting question of are we ready to talk not just about representation or recognition but are we really ready to talk in the industry about um about real real equity about redistribution um that um it will happen it will happen because enormously brilliant and creative individuals um real life re-re's um at, you know they're gonna produce stuff that we're all gonna want to read and um you know a generation will fade away and things will look different um but uh, maybe we've been having to wait too long for that all right so uh thanks for listening to my now doubly overlong um daily podcast um we're on itunes where uh, i applied for stitcher i gotta check that out am i on stitcher nah, i don't know um but i'm also at soundcloud at uh, soundcloud.com slash two ply on twitter at two ply t-w-o-p-l-a-i you can email at two ply at gmail uh, would love to hear from you would love a review or a rating or a like or something just to know someone out there is listening and maybe no one out there is listening and um you know, go back and listen to the What is the Paulist podcast for a, a description, a summary of what this is all about. But um, thank you much. I'll see you tomorrow or hear you or you'll hear me. Keep reading. All right. <laughs>